With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, I am joined by the fellow contributing writer over at Pensburg.com, one co-host of the Penscast here at the Skating Penguin Network. It is Robbie Noggle, and I'm also joined by the newest member of the Skating Penguin Network. It is Snail. The Holy Trifecta is here once again to answer your questions this week. As we continue to wait, uh, this episode will go live on August 1st, 2023, and uh, we are still trying to get any sort of news nugget we can on the whereabouts of Eric Carlson and how that potential trade with the San Jose Sharks is coming along, but we are really in the dog days of summer and the dog days of the NHL offseason, but until we get new developments on Eric Carlson or anything else that Kyle Dubas may have up his sleeve. We will continue to take your questions as the off season rolls along. So two question askers comprise of this week's mailbag, longtime question asker, Brian, and we have a couple of questions from a newer question asker in Woody. So well, question number one, Robbie, you will get question number one. Question number two will go to snail. I will take question number three. And we will repeat that cycle until the mailbag is complete. So, Robbie, question number one comes from Woody. And here's a bit of a retrospective kind of question. 
What trade do you believe was the best trade in Pittsburgh Penguins history? For Woody's money, it's the Francis of Samuelson and Jennings trade that will go down as defining the the franchise and putting the franchise on the map. So take us away, Robbie. So I'm pretty sure in past episodes we've discussed this. Um, this question has been asked before and we've discussed um, different scenarios here. And yeah, the Francis Samuelson Jennings trade, it's always just because it was such a um, huge turning point for the franchise. It was an all in type trade. Uh, it gave the Penguins, again, another Hall of Famer in Ron Francis, a great, Great net fund presence in all of Samuelson as a defenseman. And it was just, yeah, and giving up pieces that were basically beloved in Pittsburgh to get these guys. Um, I mean, that's the kind of the chance, the risk you have to take. Um, and they, and Craig Patrick, the general manager of the time, did that. And it paid off with two Stanley Cups uh, and years of great hockey. Um, Ron Francis was tremendous in Pittsburgh throughout his time here. Um, Alf is beloved in Pittsburgh. So, I, I mean, overall, that's definitely the trade that stands out. Another one that we've discussed is the Marion Hosa trade. Uh, again, another all-in trade. The first kind of like big sign that, all right, the Penguins are now serious about winning hockey games again. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Marc-Andre Fleury, that whole the early years of that core and to bring in a guy like Hosa had instant chemistry with Sidney Crosby. Uh, and then also brought in Pascal Dupuis, who was an integral part of this franchise for many, many years, um, eight, nine years after that trade. So yeah, those are the two trades that stick out the most. It's I get the payoff, I guess was a little bit better with Francis with the two cups uh, the Hosa one was obviously what turned out to be a rental. And then all the happenings after that with him going to Detroit and the Penguins getting uh, revenge on that the next year. But uh, those are the two trades in my mind. They're the big, um, the, 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 the all in trades that uh, two different generations, um, technically two different results, but it was the two biggest uh, we're here to win hockey games and win Stanley cups uh, moves in, in Penguins history. Uh, question number two goes to Snail, and again, this is from Woody. Uh, who do you feel has more upside, uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph or Ty Smith, uh, or would you package both in a trade or separate trades? Well, to answer the first part of that question, <clears throat> I think it's I think it's got to be P.O. Joseph. I'd be curious to hear what either of you kind of had to say regarding that, but I think P.O.'s just had a little bit more consistency. Um you know, he's not running the power play or quarterbacking the power play by any means, but he's a guy, a guy you can plug in as that, you know, maybe in a rare instance, that second pairing defenseman on the left side or a, a solid third pairing defenseman. He's got great speed. Um, he's still, they're both very young, which is, you know, a plus side. Um, they have time to develop. I like P.O. better than Ty. Um, you know, Ty's kind of puzzling. He's kind of... I mean, he has two 20-point seasons, 20-plus uh, point seasons in uh, New Jersey. And then spending most of the year in the minors last year with Wilkes-Barre, he had another 20-plus point season, but he really eats minuses. He was a minus 9, minus 26 in Jersey, minus 8 um, last year. So I think 
I I would want to keep PO just because of his he's a little bit more reliable. Um, and then would I package them both in a trade or separate trades? Well, that all depends on who we're trading for. Um, if we're talking about this fabled Carlson deal that's supposedly going to be happening, boy, if that's what gets the deal done, honestly, I mean, yeah, I would I would package them both. But I guess it really just depends what you're looking for in a trade with them. If uh, I think P.O. Joseph could be a great, you know, if, if we're relying on Marcus Pedersen to slide up uh, and fill the shoes that Dumoulin has left, although, you know, last year debatable whether he's really, you know, the bar is set pretty low to fill Dumoulin's shoes. Um, if we got Pedersen jumping up, P.O. Joseph could slide right into that, you know, second left shot D spot. Anyways, yeah. Um, I guess it all just depends on who we're trading for. Uh, I think for Carlson, just let's get that thing done. I, I want Carlson in Pittsburgh. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be, I would be fickle on giving up PO. Uh, Ty don't really know what his return would be. Um, yeah, I don't know. He was in the minors most of last year. I heard rumors that maybe it was cap reasons why he wasn't being called up. But I think if they really sought his, um, his offensive prowess and his services, they would have you know, done what they could to move things around to get them up. So eh, hopefully that kind of sh- shines a light on kind of what I think about that. What do you, what about you guys? Would you, who, who do you like better between PO and Ty? For me, my money's right now on PO Joseph, just because he's had an extended look in the, the, the NHL. Uh, Ty Smith does have some NHL experience, but Joseph for my money, based on the, the sample size that I got last season he had to, he had his ups and downs last season for sure. My money right now is just on Joseph, just because Ty Smith. We don't know. We really don't know what he can do in a in a Penguin sweater. Um, I, I I agree. I think the main reason why he was in the AHL last season was due to cap constraints and that previous regime. But I mean, when you're looking at the Penguins and you're talking about maybe a Carlson trade and you're talking about potential pieces going back the other way to San Jose, you're probably looking at a P.O. Joseph and or a Ty Smith because that's just how bare the the prospect cupboard is. And I don't think either prospect is a blue blue chip kind of prospect. I think they're really uh, middle of the pack. Perhaps you could even be extreme and say dime a dozen kind of prospects on the defensive side. So uh, but just because he has more NHL experience and I had an up-close look at him last season, for, for the time being, I'd say Joseph. Question number three from Woody. Would you like to see the Penguins go back to the blue sweaters the team wore many years ago, even if it was only for one year? I don't think I, – I like the blue sweaters, but I don't think it'll it'll happen because I think you're you're when you're marketing the Penguins, you're marketing that black and gold look that look that they finally, I mean, they, they didn't really have success with the, the original blue sweaters when they came into the league in the late sixties. It really wasn't until they got Mario Lemieux and, you know, in the mid eighties, they switched their color scheme to match the, the, St- the Steelers and the pirates and to match the rest of the city of Pittsburgh. It really wasn't until then that you start to see sustained success. And that's why I don't think the, the blue sweaters are going to come back on a permanent basis. If they the Penguins go into a winter classic or a stadium series game, 
that's when you maybe can bring them out. But even then, I, I don't think I don't think the blue sweaters will be worn at all as long as Crosby and Malkin and Latang are on this roster. I mean, there's been some pretty some pretty bad luck with those with those blue jerseys being worn at a winter classic game. Just go back to the 2011 winter classic and all you need to know your answers are right there so as long as Crosby and Malkin are here I look at the the blue sweaters as sort of a bad luck charm but I wouldn't be opposed to it I I don't think it'll happen permanently because so much of this team and its identity are intertwined with the city of Pittsburgh and that black and gold color palette that has also defined the Penguins and the Pirates so When you think of Pittsburgh and you think of sports, you think of black and gold. You don't think of blue and you don't think of the early days of the Penguins as being two bright spots. So that black and gold look is here to stay, very likely going to stay permanently. And that blue, that, that those blue sweaters are probably only going to come out on very rare special occasions if they come out at all. Question number four. This question comes from Brian, and his question was posed on the Spittin' Chicklets podcast, and it was too good not to ask. What current or former player, Robbie, can take the longest break from competition and still come back and be dominant? Well, I think we kind of, I don't know, is this like right now? I, I, I guess this would be active players and how long are we talking about, I mean, you remember in the early nineties, Mario missed significant time with the cancer and his back and was just as dominant um, as he'd ever been, even in his years off with retirement came back and was an extremely dominant force uh, with the penguins uh, when he returned to uh, when he returned to action. So that way, I mean, I think there you have a very good example as of right now, I really think – I don't know what would stop if Conor McDavid took a year off. I don't see him getting to the point where he would not be dominant when he stepped back on the ice uh, in any shape or form. And I think Dreisaitl maybe to a lesser degree is in that conversation as well. Uh, we don't know enough about Conor Bedard yet to make any kind of declarations like that. Uh, Crosby took almost a year and a half off uh, in between – with his concussion slash neck issues and came back and was just fully dominant in, in his comeback. Again, he missed a good chunk of his, uh, his career there where he would have put up just unbelievably gaudy numbers, but what's said and done is said and done. And um, he came right back and was Sidney Crosby again. But I, if we're talking about just hockey players that I think McDavid's the obvious, the, the obvious answer right now. Um, under the weather kind of player, I think a guy like um, David Pasternak uh, could take a year off and come back and still be an absolute goal scoring machine. And maybe a guy that another guy that flies under the radar, um, Adam Fox, the defenseman uh, with the Rangers, who I think is um, arguably the best defenseman in hockey. He already has a Norris Trophy. He's still young. I think he could step away from the game and come back and still be just as dominant just because when you have that amount of talent, um, yeah, there's some rust, but you can come back and be just as dominant uh, as you were before. Now, if you're taking multiple years off, maybe this, maybe it changes a little bit, but a guy like McDavid, Fox, Pasternak, 
I, the, there's just too much talent there that if they took a year off, I think they could come back and within 20 games be back to their dominating self, if not sooner. But Krejci, he took a year off. He was playing in a beer league in Czech Republic, and he came back and had an amazing year last year. Yeah, I mean, and that just shows you the talent of these guys uh, today. I mean, Krejci, he was never going to be like a McDavid or Pasternak, but just, I mean, he was always a very solid, if not great, uh, second-line center for all those good Boston teams, and he took a year away. Uh, now he was still playing. Now, if you're counting that they just take a, a year away from playing all together, no competitive hockey, um, I think that might be uh, that changes a little bit. He at least was playing against professionals uh, in in the Czech Republic, but because um, Yager, I mean Yager took uh, what three years in the in the KHL, um, came back and it wasn't again. This is toward the latter part of his career but came back and was a very good hockey player when he came back to the NHL. Um, again, not as dominant, but, I mean, for his age and stuff, he was still a very good hockey player. So I, the, if the talent's there, uh, the game's going to be there and the, the numbers are going to be there. It's just they're too good. Uh, but, yeah, that's – it. just as long, as long as they still have that talent and the desire, they're going to they're gonna put up show-stopping performances. Uh, question number five here is again from Brian. Uh, what's a trade that still upsets stu- upsets you that happened? For me, it was Jordan Stahl. I understand he wanted to play with his brother, but um, he was one that. Uh, but that was one that got me. So yeah, I, I read this question on on Twitter last night in the middle of the night. I was as I was laying awake while my kitten was attacking me, um, and I just started to make a little list on my notes pad, and it quickly got very long. So I'm not gonna gripe too long here because, you know, as great as general manager Jim Rutherford was, there was a and. God, Hextall, I don't know. I'll just quickly, um, Kessel for, for Galchenyuk and P.O. Joseph, that'll always kind of bother me. I love Phil Kessel. Like, I watched Phil when he was in Toronto. I mean, as a Penguins fan, I would watch Phil. I would watch Toronto games just to watch him. I just thought he was, I just thought he was awesome. So, uh, player near and dear to my heart, that's more personal. But we all know how Galley ended up, you know, he, he, what a suitcase. He bounced around quite a bit after Pittsburgh never really found he had that one year in Montreal and they kind of I mean would we have kept Kessel that's all debatable there were rumblings he wasn't getting along with with Sullivan and Gino or whatever I don't know I take all that with a grain of salt but Philip Hollander for McCann I mean that has to be one that doesn't just sit well with me but I think after last season a lot of Penguins fans (laughs) Um, that's got to leave a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth. He puts up 40 and, you know, Philippe Hollander's sitting, sitting in the minors still. Um, and then there was the trade with like, uh, Patrick Hornquist for Colton Sevier and Mike Matheson. Uh, JR kind of said that was a, uh, a salary dump. And then he got called out for, they took on more money than they actually shed. So to list a few, uh, those are some that kind of came to mind really quickly. All right, question six here from Brian. Uh, to follow up, okay, this is more of a statement, and he's outing his 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 girlfriend here. To follow up, I will not be trying ketchup flavored ice cream. I'm not the biggest fan of ketchup in general. 
Wow. Um, as for weird things go, my girlfriend puts it on her steak and now has our daughter doing it too. So, wow, a lot to di digest there, boys. I haven't... The, ket the ketchup on the steak thing is not out of this world. I've definitely heard of it being done. I don't know if either of you have put ketchup on your steak. Here's the thing I'll say about steak is if you put it in front of me, I will eat it. And I think I may have had this conversation with Robbie in a prior question in a prior mailbag. I'm not going to go out of my way to eat steak. A burger, I will, I will demolish burgers, but steak is, I, I don't know. It's just one of those weird things for me that I have friends and I have family who will devour steaks like they're cavemen and the steaks are going out of style, but I don't know. It's just, maybe it's because the, the portability of, of a hamburger and the easiness you have to, you have while eating the hamburger, you, you pick it, you're, you pick it up with your hands by the buns and that's how you eat it. Whereas, a steak requires a little bit more work on your end. You have to work for the meat, you know, cut, you know, cutting it with a fork and a knife and dipping it in, in steak sauce or any other sauce that you may use to dip your steak in. In this case, it's ketchup. Maybe that outs me as a bit of a lazy person for not wanting to use extra instruments to eat my meal. And so be it. But that, that that's just how I feel about steak. Uh, as far as ketchup on steak, uh, I, I've definitely heard of it being used in the past, but, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely, definitely out there for sure. Now Brian's going to be watching like a hawk, his girlfriend and his daughter just, and it, it, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if Brian really just eliminates ketchup from the household. I mean, it would be maybe, maybe, maybe Brian is a dictator in disguise and, this is his cover-up, him asking us penguins-related and food-related questions. Now, I could be going into crazy tin hat conspiracy theorist mode. Maybe Brian is just a, maybe, maybe he's a dictator and he doesn't allow certain condiments in his household. And if that's the case, you know, I can't, I can't fault another man for, for trying to, you know, to, to, to trying to lay down the law and trying to decide which condiments should be in one's household. But maybe this is all a front just to try and eliminate ketchup from his household. It could be an extravagant ploy. It could be, like I said, me putting tin foil, my tinfoil hat on. We're just going to have to wait and see and follow up next week to see how crazy Brian actually is. But as far as the ketchup flavored ice cream and the ketchup on the steak, yeah, the, the ketchup ice cream. I will not personally do. I think we've uh, we've already established that. All you have to do is go back and listen to last week's show for more on ketchup flavored ice cream and ketchup in general. But uh, yeah, for for now, ketchup on steak, it's it's a thing. Apparently, it's not a thing I do, but uh, it's it's definitely out there. And now we know Brian and his family. Brian is trying to combat this epidemic in his household. So. <laughs> Uh, I, hold hold on a second, and uh, Garrett or, or Robbie, I'd like you to chime in on this since Garrett just kind of admitted he doesn't really eat steak. Um, so uh, let's just like at a steakhouse. Let's say you go to like a legit steakhouse or whatever. If you put ketchup on a steak, they're gonna ask you to leave. Am I am I right? Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't eat steak. 
Oh, will they? Yeah, they probably. I mean, they don't even I let mean, you put A one on those things. They're like, if you ask for A one, they'll spit in your direction and ask you to leave. Like, like if it's like a legit like steakhouse, like it says it on the sign. Uh, yeah, that you at the very, at the best, they would give you some dirty looks. Um, <laughs> I am not a a um. I'm personally not any kind of sauce on steak. I if the steak's done well, you don't need any condiments on it let's put it that way now if it's some if the steak gets overdone uh, that's a different story just because it can be tough to eat but no i mean if i go to a legit steakhouse i know i'm getting a good steak if you want to put some pepper salt and maybe some like seasoning on it that's fine but any kind of condiment juicy enough there's no to me there's no need for any kind of any kind of condiment, whether it be A1 or ketchup or whatever to me. So it's very sacrilegious to me uh, to put a condiment on on steak. Yeah, and I mean, if you get into the territory of, I'm sure you guys are familiar with, like if you were to go to a breakfast e-diner type place, you can get, isn't it chicken fried steak? Is that what it's called? Where they take, is that what it is? help me out here it's like where they they fry the steak in like a in a batter of some sort yeah yeah and then i mean by all means you throw ketchup on that you got hash browns mixed in there breakfast potatoes or whatever maybe like an egg or two douse that in ketchup but like yeah never really heard of like ketchup on the on the steak like robbie said if they're they're done well you don't really need a whole lot um extra on there i digress from this yes oh yeah but i mean before i was vegan i had you know i had I had standards. Anyways, I digress. The vegan given us given me advice on how to eat meat. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, you try to run a tight ship around here. Anyway, uh, Robbie, we're gonna go and move on to question number seven. Question number seven from Brian. This is a good question, and it's one that we haven't openly discussed to this point. But as arbitration hearings get underway, is Drew O'Connor the hero the team needs for giving the Penguins a second chance to buy out? Mikel Granlin, do you see Dubas using the second buyout period as the opportunity to rid us of Mikel Granlin? I mean, it's now or never, isn't it? And whenever this window opens, you got 48 hours to make a decision. And I think a part of the not buying out Mikel Granlin back at the end of June uh, during the first buyout window was, I think, Dubas was doing everything he possibly could to get uh, him out in a trade uh, to save, uh, to completely cl- clear that uh, cap hit off the books without having to worry about uh, paying anything the next four years. And I just think that he has been able to do it uh, because you're not going to get a one for one because it's going to, if you're doing a one for one, a hockey trade, you're going to have to throw in a piece to make that a little more enticing. Unless the Carlson deal gets done um, before this window opens, I I just I'm very hesitant to see him getting moved out uh, in a non buyout fashion. And you're running out of time. When I don't know exactly when the window opens. I know it's after O'Connor settles up his arbitration case, whether it's um, through arbitration or they agree on a deal beforehand. But I mean, it's now or never. And O'Connor has thankfully given this opportunity. Um, He filed for arbitration, giving the Penguins this chance 
uh, to buy out Mickey Granlin if they choose to. Does Dubas do it? I think he's going to try literally everything to not do it. And I think it's a very an option of last resort for him. If he can make a trade to get him clean off the books, he'll do it. But if not, I really don't know if he'll do it. I, I'm very on the fence because um, he was very adamant that he does not want to use a buyout uh, when he was talking in his earlier media uh, scrums after he was hired. So um, will he do it? I'm really 50-50 on that. Do I think he should? If you can't make the move, if you can't get a trade to get him clean off the books, then I think you have to. Because, um, again, the savings are significant, uh, especially in the first two years of the buyout. Um, but if he is a piece in a Carlson-type trade, uh, the clock's ticking on that. So you, your options are keep him, trade him, or buy him out. And I think that if the best option is buy him out, then you have to um, suck it up and do it and just take the hit and uh, deal with it down the road. Uh, question eight uh, is from Brian and staying on the Carlson talks here. If the Carlson trade does end up happening, other than the obvious players on the roster, who are some others you think should be quote unquote untouchable as trade pieces? Well, um, if the obvious are the obvious players, just Latang, Sid, Gino. Um, I mean, I would probably throw Gensel in there, but uh and, and maybe maybe Riley Smith since we just acquired him. Um, but honestly, for me to get this Carlson trade done, I mean, I, I'd throw a Braden Jaeger in there. I think he seems like a the closest thing to a blue chip prospect the Penguins have had in a long time. I'd be curious to know what you guys think about Owen Pickering. I've debated this, whether he would be an untouchable. He's another, I don't know if he'd be a blue chip prospect just because, but because of how bare the cupboards are in Pittsburgh, Owen Pickering kind of is a blue chip prospect at this point. Cause it's like I said, just so bare. So um, I would probably throw Jaeger and Gensel in there. But like I was alluding to for me for Car- to get this Carlson thing done, you know, maybe it's just that it's been kind of dragging on so long into the summer, and I kind of thought this was going to get done on July 1st or whatever. Uh, just Let's just get it done. There's not a whole lot. I mean, there's a lot of players I'd hate to see go. Um, I really love Rust. Um, I, I want to keep Pedersen for the potential that Carlson comes over, and you got that Swedish connection on the back end. Um, you know, I've even debated, would you, I mean, I love Tanger, but like if it took Tang giving up Tanger for Carlson, I'm not saying I would sign off on that. I'm just saying I've had those thoughts. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, if, uh, not to convolute this answer, but yeah, I would probably have to say Jaeger and, uh, and Gensel. And other than that, you know, not a whole lot I wouldn't sign off on to get this done. Um, I'm curious from either you, Garrett, or Robbie, what do you think about Owen Pickering? Because that was the one guy I kind of actually probably spent the most time toiling over as if uh, as to whether I keep him or not. The only people on my list that are untouchable are Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, and Latang, and anybody else is fair game. I mean, I, even, okay. the, even, the, even, the, even a Pickering or a Jaeger, if that means... Eric Carlson comes here, then so be it. I mean, we're there. You, you try to sell us on this idea of this window being open 
and these elite players aren't getting any younger. So throw it all, throw caution to the wind for the next two, three, maybe four seasons. I understand where Dubas and Hextall before him were coming from and trying to build a future, but also not trying to compromise the present sort of thing. But I, I really don't care at this point about the future. The future is going to suck one way or another because Crosby and Malkin and Latang are all going to be gone within the next five years or so, I'd imagine. So cross that bridge, tr- build up the prospect cupboard three, four years from now. If Crosby's still here and he wants to contribute and help the young guys along, then that's fantastic. But I'm all in on this idea of trying to maximize whatever time you have left. If that means giving up a Jaeger or a Pickering, then so be it as far as I'm concerned. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Question number nine from Brian. Now that the draft has came and went, is there going to be a GM or not, or is it going to be Dubas? Uh, Well... Dubas certainly has his hands full. Uh, I would imagine he's going to have his hands full for the next four to six weeks, trying to find a resolution to this Carlson saga. And also trying to, I would imagine if he hasn't started already, he's going to approach Jake Gensel's representation because Jake Gensel is eligible for a contract extension. And he was eligible for a contract extension on July 1st, I do believe. So uh, between the Carlson saga and locking up Jake Gensel, which everything that I've read up to this point looks like Jake Gensel does want to stay here, and why wouldn't you? I mean, I think I said on a prior podcast, I think Jake Gensel could be the captain after Crosby and Malkin and Latang are gone. Uh, th- that would be a natural progression of things, uh, the way I look at it, uh, as well, that leadership core leaves and Gensel who will be in his mid thirties, probably by that time takes the captaincy and, and runs with it into what you can call a new generation. But yeah, between Gensel and Carlson, I know he said he wanted to name a a general manager. I think he said in one of his introductory press conferences, he wanted to name a general manager sometime in July. And that really has yet to happen. He's still the acting general manager. I don't, I, maybe he just doesn't get to it. Maybe he maintains those responsibilities as president of hockey ops slash general manager. So depends on how much responsibility he himself wants to shoulder, but he has the green light from Fenway sports group to basically do what he wants when he wants, so long as it makes them competitive and profitable. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see at the end of the day, I think the GM is just a title, because I imagine Kyle Dubas, now that he has full control, will sign off on just about everything. So who knows? Maybe Dubas takes the GM role himself, and they just move forward with Dubas as the acting face of, of the of the executive branch of this franchise. So, eh, you know, it's to me, it's it's maybe a, a wait and see sort of thing. Question number ten for you, Robbie, comes from Brian. I know this is way too early. But if you had to take a stab at it right now, 
who are the playoff teams in the East? Yeah, very early. Um, but let's take a shot here. Um, we'll start in the Atlantic. Uh, Bergeron's a blow to Boston. Don't think that it is missed the playoffs of a blow. Um, even if Olmark takes a step back, I still think they're in the playoff team. Uh, Toronto, this the, the Atlantic is still, until proven otherwise, is still very top-heavy. Um, so i got to go Toronto is going to be in. But I think it will be an interesting three-way race. Um, I'm still saying Boston, on paper at least, is the best team. Again, they're bringing back um, a lot of pieces from last year's historic team. Now, like, obviously, doesn't matter in the playoffs. But, I mean, you got to get there for anything to matter at all. So, um, I still like Boston is the best there. And then, like, a three-way ways. I think Florida is – Again, this was like a a, re, a mini rebuilding year for Florida, um, and they even admitted that. And look what happened. And I think they are full, uh, fully loaded uh, for this season. I think they're going to make a lot of noise. I think they're going to challenge Boston for that top spot in the Atlantic. Uh, so I'm going to put them at two. Um, give me Tampa at three, and give me I will have Toronto taking a wild card spot. Um, again, that I, I like. I think you're going to see like a three horse uh, race there. A lot depends on what uh, Toronto does um, in goal. Uh, can Samsonov do what he did last year again? Um, does Matthews have a better year than he did last year? Um, so I think those three, you can put them in any order, but I really like Florida uh, taking that two seed. Uh, Tampa is just going to Tampa uh, through the regular season and be fine. So. Uh, in the Metro, um, I'm knocking the Islanders out of the playoffs. I, I think eventually it just all catches up with you. Um, it, Sorokin can do great things, but eventually the kind of like sitting on our hands, um, not making a major move when the window is open, eventually catches up with you at some point. And I could see the Islanders. Uh, taking a step back. Uh, It's all very interesting uh, at the top there then, because I right now have the Penguins as a top three team in the East. I have actually a Jersey is one, Carolina is two, Pittsburgh is three. Uh, And then the Rangers, uh, again, I don't see any of Philadelphia, Columbus, Washington um, having done enough to jump any of those top five teams. So, I will take the the Rangers uh, in the playoffs as a, as a wild card. Now the interesting thing comes is what do Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit do? Do they do enough to maybe um, catch up uh, to some of these playoff teams? Um, I think Buffalo has the best shot this year, but right now my playoff teams are New Jersey, Carolina, the Penguins, uh, Boston, Florida, uh, Tampa Bay, and then Toronto and the Rangers as wild cards. Um, uh, do not remember any of this come April of next year when that is very, very wrong. Okay, question number 11 from Brian again. Um, what, in your opinion, is the best shootout move? Um, well, I mean, this is going to be biased. This is all based on what I do in my driveway. Um, I love forehand, backhand, shelf, 
and I love the signature Koval Chuck, Phil Kessel, uh, just that, just the quick release snapshot bar down. Um, but I mean, when they work, there's a bunch of cool ones like the Datsuk, you know, kind of the, the Jeru. Uh, those are all cool to watch, but I mean, is there nothing more pretty than just like Latang does it all the time, forehand, backhand, roof job. Um, I was actually just recently watching some Kovalchuk highlights and a bunch of shootout. His go-to shootout was just the quick release bar down. Let's go number question number 12 here from Brian. Uh, what's on your Mount Rushmore of ice cream flavors? So we're back with ice cream discussion here. I At first I was going to say I don't have a Mount Rushmore, but then now the more I think about it, first and foremost it would have to be vanilla, just plain vanilla. Now, Do you put I wa- ketchup on it? Oh my, here we go again with this nonsense. <laughs> so so he, here's a question that I, I don't know how big ice cream connoisseurs either of you are, but now would you say vanilla and French vanilla are two different, distinctly different ice cream flavors? Have either of you had French vanilla? Mm-hmm, I have. Yeah, so, I, uh, I think there's enough of a distinct difference. It's, yeah. I, I think, and I'm kind of basic because like you can have French vanilla coffee flavoring yeah um and you can have vanilla i think there is enough of a distinct difference that i'd have to um i'd have to differentiate between now if you don't want to that's fine but i think i would have to differentiate between the two just because to me there's enough of a difference between the two okay so for me my mount rushmore will be regular vanilla classic vanilla we'll call it classic vanilla french vanilla um Chocolate chip cookie dough, mm. which has, I think it's basically still a vanilla base, but so yeah, yeah. those three, and then there's a specific kind of ice cream that my sister buys. I think you can get it at Aldi. Um, it's, it's called cookie butter. If either of you, oh, familiar, I bet that's really good. I never had it, but I bet that's really good. It is absolutely phenomenal. It is. I mean, there are like little chunks of, of cookie butter i don't know how you would describe it but it's like actual physical chunks mm-hmm. that are in with the ice cream and it's uh, it is it's so good especially around the fall fall and winter time um i think i think they sell it year round uh if i'm not mistaken but i haven't had it in a while so yeah my, that's i mean my mount rushmore is going to be rather basic dare i say generic but but that's how i roll in terms of ice cream i don't like strawberry i will tolerate chocolate um if you put chocolate in front of me ideally i have chocolate ice cream with vanilla cake i mean if you can't tell already i'm a big uh, vanilla fan so but that that's my mount rushmore i guess we'll go around the table since this is this week's another food question so uh, Robbie, we'll go with your Mount Rushmore, and then we'll uh, finish this question off with snail. Uh, so I'm going to start with chocolate chip cookie dough. I just I feel like that's gonna, a, a very popular one uh, with a lot of a lot of people. Um, so that's on my Mount Rushmore. Um, uh, easy, easy, easy. Um, I have to go with just your base vanilla because I it just to me it's good. Uh, I, I love especially in soft serve. I, I love a base vanilla. Um, I always get it with sprinkles because I'm that guy. Um, so that is definitely, uh, up there as well. Now this is, I don't know if this is a regional thing, but 
there is a ice cream uh, place near me, just like like a mile and a half from my house. They serve. It's called. They're called flavor burst ice cream, and the one that I always get is called blue goo, and it's like a blueberryish kind of flavor, and it's to me, it's on the list for me. It is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, again, don't know if that's a regional thing or uh, like a semi-regional thing or what, but that's my number three. My number four, I was kind of going back and forth here because uh, there's so many good ones that you could go with uh, for this one, but I'm going to kind of go um, maybe a little uh, off the radar here and go with uh, birthday cake ice cream. Um, it has like cake chunks in it, some sprinkles, and they usually throw some kind of icing, like cake icing in as well as like kind of like an additive. Um, and to me, it's just super addicting. Um, uh, it's one of my favorites. I don't get it all the time simply because um, it can get a little too sweet for me. But uh, I, it's definitely one of my top four. And um, it's one that like, again, it's like a, a, a uh, indulgence, kind of like a guilty pleasure that um, I just really love. A lot of people aren't a fan of it, but it's, it's good enough for me to get on my Mount Rushmore. And with that, I will pass it over uh, to Snail to wrap this one up. Just quickly, how many faces are on Mount Rushmore? Four. Four? Okay, four. Um, so this is actually pretty easy for me. Um, the first ice cream on my Mount Rushmore is Ben & Jerry's non-dairy seven-layer coconut um, oh, coconut. Oh, phenomenal ice that cream. That sounds horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. You are banned from this podcast forever. <laughs> I hey, ketchup boy. <laughs> oh, oh, really? You know, you know, in, in order to stop the escalation of World War Three here, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to, to mute myself and we'll let Snail continue talking about his disgusting love of coconut. But I, I'll keep that. In my, I'll, I'll remember that that little uh, that shot fired here. I'll remember that for future use. No, I honestly, I'll Venmo either of you. Go out and get the non-dairy seven-layer coconut. It's got graham crackers. It's got chocolate, walnuts in it. Uh, that stuff is a phenomenal ice cream. Uh, a pint is a serving. Don't at me. Just smell you later. I will. Holy, I, a pint is a serving. Oh, my God. Um, number two, uh God, this might get controversial, boys. Uh, number two, you know what? I am a sucker for it. I've loved it since I was a kid, and it comes in non-dairy flavors. Classic chocolate chip mint toothpaste flavored ice cream, as I like to call it. This is getting worse by the second. <laughs> See, oh. I, I, I can eat mint chocolate chip. Not, It's not on Thank my you, Robbie. Mount Rushmore, but it's one that I definitely, I will not, if it's there, again, if it, other flavors are there, but I have no problem eating it, and I do enjoy it from time to time. So, not my favorite, but that, it's a it's a good ice cream flavor. It's a good ice cream, and not just just you know I don't know if this makes us any better or not, but not the green kind, the white kind. It's just a vanilla, I think, with the mint chocolate chips in it. Yeah, Anyways. either to me, either or are good, but um, yeah, I'm not. I can't make fun of you for that. I, that <laughs> they, it's it's a completely solid ice cream. So the green one, I mean, it. I, I had, anyways, the green is a little too close to, it just paints a picture of toothpaste, but the white, yeah, yeah, great ice cream. That. And that's at number two. Number three, um, I have not heard of the, did you call it the 
cookie butter or cookie dough butter. I've not heard of that. Cookie butter, yeah. Cookie, cookie butter. butter. Uh, just plain old non-dairy uh, cookie dough ice cream. But yeah. it's got to be, it's got to have a lot of chunks in it. Like it's got, yeah, it can't, absolutely. it needs it's to be like, if it's not. It's just vanilla, and I can't be. It, they can't be sparse with the the cookie dough chunks in there. It's got to yeah. be rich in it. That's yeah, number three, that. and then number four. I'm hoping one of you guys jumps in here and agrees with me. Otherwise, this is just going to be. Uh, this is not going to look good. But um, black licorice ice cream. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh no! No! Oh my that, gosh. This has been perhaps oh, one of the worst like three. Oh. Three, one of the worst three-minute segments we have ever had on black uh, like, licorice. To me, is just repulsive. Hear me out. Hear me out. No, I, I will not hear you. <laughs> I will not hear you. I'll let you. Then. I'll let you. I'll let you speak and make your case, but it's not going to convince me. <laughs> I won't touch black licorice ice cream or uh, candy. I, I can't. I won't eat that stuff. But I have had this black licorice ice cream. Uh, that is it's it's good it's like refreshing it's delicious it's rich i don't know anyways say what you will there it is oh wow that's i did not expect i i can understand like coconut i'm not a coconut fan but that's a i mean that's a flavor that we're all used to everybody eats coconut's a pretty mainstream flavor uh the cookie dough um yeah i mean it's just dairy-free cookie dough and the chunks i totally agree with you got to have load that thing with chunks I don't care. I just load it with chunks. Um, the mint chocolate chip, again, not on my list, but a completely acceptable ice cream, and I do enjoy it uh, from time to time. The black licorice, I did. <laughs> Honestly, when you were going with that, I was going through what this could possibly be. Um, I, I had no, like, I was just trying to think of how off the wall it was going to be. I did not expect black, black licorice because. One, I didn't really know there was black licorice ice cream. But That's what I was wondering. Do you guys have you guys ever even seen that before? I'm gonna look the next time I go to the grocery store just to see if I can find it, um, just to see if it does exist. But I don't know. Um, again, I I am not a black licorice fan. I don't even like the smell of black licorice. But um, no, that was not. I was expecting like maybe you're gonna pull out like a moose tracks or turtle or something like that. You and wish. Then, yeah, I mean, I like moose tracks. I almost put that on my on my list, but black licorice, I was not expecting. We're gonna have to just Robbie and I are gonna have to have a discussion about the future of this podcast. After <laughs> oh boy, what I just listened to for the last five or so minutes, but uh, the we'll have that conversation in private for, for another day. Uh, we have two questions left. Robbie gets question thirteen here. If Eric Carlson is acquired, what do you see the potential power play units looking like? So I think there's two ways you can go with this, and it depends on what you want to do at the point. Uh, if you want to run two defensemen, then I think you put Carlson and Latang at the point, obviously, and then you have Crosby and Malkin uh, on the ice as well. And then your fifth guy is uh, either, like, I, I don't know where they what the plan is with Riley Smith. He's probably a two power or a second power play unit guy, but that leaves pretty much Jake Ensel and um, Brian. Brian, I think Brian Russ in that situation actually goes down to uh, the second power play as well, and it's between Jake Ensel and Ricard Raquel uh, for that fifth spot. And I wouldn't even be against. I wouldn't even be against uh, rotating those two guys, depending on 
um, the set, the, the uh, penalty kill setup or uh, just to kind of change the look a little bit. Uh, Gensel is more, he is uh, not quite as, he is not afraid to get his nose dirty and uh, get in close. Whereas Raquel is a one time uh, grip it and rip it kind of guy with a deadly wrist shot. Uh, so you can uh, feed him on one side, Malkin on the other, Crosby there for the deflection. Um, but if you want to take um, uh, Crystal Tang off that top unit and put him on the second, uh, then I think Eric Carlson's obviously your point man, Malkin, Crosby, and then it's Gensel and uh, Raquel. Uh, so it really, and again, you could rotate those, um, those, uh, those units um, go with uh, the two defensemen, go with the one defenseman. But I think obviously, and uh, I think, uh, Latang even said something uh, in an interview recently after the rumors kind of surfaced about Carlson that he'd be completely fine with uh, handing over those duties to Carlson. I think Carlson's a much better uh, power play quarterback. And again, I'm not anti Latang there. I just think the car, I mean, his reputation speaks for itself. Uh, so I think bringing Carlson in gives Mike Sullivan a heck of a lot of options uh, that you can deploy different looks. Um, but at the very least, you're getting Carlson, Crosby, Malkin um, on that on that top unit, and then depending on what you want to put on the ice, could put Latang out there as another point man, or go Raquel Gensel uh, with just Carlson on the ice. So uh, I think bringing a guy like that in brings in uh, opens the uh, opens up a lot of uh, opportunity to kind of mix and match and see what works and throw different looks at the, uh, at the penalty killers and kind of throw them off their games, make them uncomfortable, uh, which is something the Penguins desperately need uh, in their power play. So yeah, Carlson really bringing him in, not just as a five on five player, but he does so much for what they can do with the man advantage as well. And last but not least, uh, Snail's going to wrap us up here with a question from Brian. Uh, can you speak on Amanda Kessel uh, Bess Kessel, uh, and her recent promotion uh, to a front office role with the Penguins. Yeah, I can't speak a whole lot to it, but I can kind of give you just briefly what I kind of understand. So I think she was, if I'm not mistaken, she was previously enrolled as an ambassador to the team. Is that correct? It's Am called I... a fellow. So I'm guessing my my understanding, it was like a fellowship, which if you're if you know what fellowships are, they're basically like, like a higher level internship basically. Um, and she got gotcha. to do a bunch of stuff within the organization. It wasn't just front office stuff. It was marketing business. It was all that, but it sounds like this role was much more focused on uh, hockey operations, front office stuff. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, so anyways, she's been promoted uh, fairly recently here to uh, a special assistant to the president of hockey operations and the general manager, which the penguins do not have essentially just Dubis and, yeah, uh, yeah. and Spezza. So, um, you know, Amanda Kessel, she's pretty decorated. Uh, as a special, special assistant, you know, you hear that sometimes in hockey. So they hire, you know, I feel like you see sometimes these GMs that are no longer, with their respective teams, they kind of get, you know, someone will hire them as a special assistant. Um, Amanda Kessel is an Olympic gold medalist. She's a three-time national champion. She's a very decorated 
athlete and uh, a veteran hockey player. So I just think what this means as a special assistant is she's just going to be, you know, boots on the ground um, there to kind of, you know, utilize her outlook on the current roster and the players' performances and talents, talent levels, potentials. Um, I think she's just going to be another set of eyes and someone that's still so... Um, you know, she's obviously decorated. She knows what she's talking about. She's no, she knows what she's doing and uh, going to just kind of be in the ear of both of them, uh, probably watching a lot of games, watching a lot of practices, um, probably been keeping an eye on uh, the prospects. Um, so that's what I kind of interpret all of this as. Um, I'd be curious to hear if you guys have any other input on that. But to sum it up, that's that's kind of what. I think this all means with Amanda being uh, brought in as the special assistant. Maybe it means that she can get Phil Kessel like on a retirement tour back in Pittsburgh on like a one year vet vet minimum deal. Please. (laughs) That would really be nice little bottom six edition there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like 10, 15 minutes a night. If that second power play unit kind of guy, I was just going to say, Put him back on the power play unit, back where he was when he was here. Yeah, absolutely. Second power play. Put him on the first on that left half wall and just let him let him dance, man. I think that he, you don't need to rely on him five on five. Just put him in that power play spot, dishing it to Sid and Gino, and yeah, let him dance. I don't – yeah, I like to, to put a bow on it. I don't think her duties have been made publicly available from what I gather, but I imagine, like, you, like Snail said, she's going to be – actively helping out in probably various different capacities like robbie mentioned she was working honing her skills with marketing communication administrative roles and i imagine it's probably going to be more of the same so she's she certainly knows what she's talking about as snail mentioned she she needs no endorsement from us three jabronis talking in, into a microphone i mean <laughs> you, you could make the argument she's more decorated than her very very famous and lovable hot dog eating brother but um and you would be well justified in doing that considering you know the successes that she's had on and off the ice so but i i think it's only a good thing to still have a kessel in the or in the organization in an active capacity if we can't get phil back in here like i said on a, on a fun little retirement tour having amanda here is a uh, definitely definitely no consolation prize as far as i'm concerned yep i agree all righty. Well, uh, I am going to go decompress because we've had we've had we we've shared a lot of laughs this week on on the Penscast mailbag. And you know what? I've I've winced in my chair and I've grimaced in my chair far too many times over the course of this last hour recording this podcast, learning some new things about these people that I didn't previously know. And uh, I'm going to have to go and and decompress and and think about my future as we we continue to contemplate some of the strange decisions made with regard to (laughs) ice cream flavors and their placement on mount rushmore's but i mean well it's it'll be it'll be a discussion for next week's show until next week's show I have been Garrett Behanna for Robbie Noggle and for Snail. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.